Morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to Strategy Cafe. I'm just going to take a moment to let a few more people log in. Um, and as we've been doing recently, I think it's quite nice just to take uh, a bit of time at the start of a session like this to tune in. So um, if you don't mind following me, you don't have to, but I'm just going to take a few breaths and uh, tune into the here and now and bring my attention into um, what I'm doing. So deep breath in. And a slow breath out. Another deep breath in. And a slow breath out. One more, and deep breath in. Just notice that you can shift your attention. You know, you can see out of the periphery of your eyes. You can hear, you know, around yourself. And you can direct your attention to here and now and have an intention for this session, what you're going to learn from today, what you might ask from today, uh, what you hope to get out of listening to our conversation this morning. Um, the, one of the reasons why we do quick breath in, long breath out is the long breath out stimulates parasympathetic nervous system. So it just gives you that variability and flips you out of um, sort of fight flight uh, alert into more of a relaxed state, which is quite cool <clears throat> and good for just turning us into listening mode. So morning, everybody. Really nice to see you. Uh, welcome to Strategy Cafe. Um, so um, we're going to be talking this morning uh, with Matt Meyer. I'm going to introduce Matt in a second. I'm absolutely delighted to have him on the podcast this morning. Uh, and he's going to be talking us through lessons in leadership in a uh, big partnership in, in the law. Um, I've known Matt, oh gosh, probably on and off for more than 10 years. And um, he's uh, had an incredible experience and he'll tell us all about um, how uh, he and his colleagues have moved the firm forwards and, um, you know, their barriers and uh, things they had to overhaul to get to where they got to today and all, all the barriers what's next. And we're going to be talking about sort of a balancing act, which I think both of us kind of really tune into around, you know, organized strategy um, and, you know, the, the live nature of the firm. So identity, culture, personality, all that kind of stuff, and whether it's a straitjacket and how do you balance those things out? And then a little bit of questions to Matt about, you know, um, at this point in his leadership career, kind of what next for the firm, what next for him. So super interesting. And then at the um, top of the hour, we'll just talk to you about what we're going to be doing next. And then we've got uh, 10 minutes or so for questions. So uh, you will all know that uh, there is a questions area on GoToWebinar. Um, really open to using that as chat. I think after this webinar, we're going to move on to doing it on Zoom because the chat is more open. Um, but we're still in GoToWebinar this morning. So unfortunately, we can't have live chat, but you can use the questions area for that. And I really encourage you to do that. So any comments you've got, any thoughts you've got, anything you want to ask, even just observations, um, just pile them into the questions area and we'll use that as a chat box. And I'll pick up any questions that you've got and feed them to Matt as we go through. So I hope you enjoy it um, and look forward to engaging with you through the questions area. So Matt, welcome. Hi, pretty good to be with you, Nick. Uh, really nice to have you on the podcast this morning. I'm absolutely delighted to have you here. So maybe just introduce everybody to you and give them a quick sort of background. Yeah, sure. So um, 
my name is Matt. I'm Chief Executive at Taylor Vintage. Taylor Vintage is a uh, is a is a law firm. If if you'd asked us five years ago what we were, we'd have said we're aspiring to be a leading law firm for innovators and entrepreneurs. And if you asked us this morning, we'd say we're looking to be a catalyst in the innovation ecosystem, which is a an evolution that perhaps sits under a story we can talk about later. But I'm a I'm a um, commercial technology IP lawyer by background, um, and have worked. Uh, in the UK and abroad and in big firms and little firms and took up the reins as part of a management team at Taylor Vinters um, in 2008 and transitioned into a, into a purely um, leadership role, probably more than a management role, um, and um, very much enjoying that and very glad to be here and sharing my, my experiences, uh, hoping they're relevant to some of you. Fabulous. So here you are, it's you, you and Ed, um, and uh, that's a fabulous introduction. Um, people probably don't know too much about the inner workings of a partnership. Um, but as we were discussing, you know, both of you before you took it on were senior senior lawyers within the, the legal practice, um, influential, you know, bringing in a lot of economic value. And then at some point you took this decision, I think it's together, uh, you can, you know, to tell me if I'm right or not, but to sort of step into leadership. So just um, tell us a little bit about how that happened and, um, you know, why did you do that? And what was that like, you know, when you first sort of launched yourselves in this completely new direction? It was an interesting period, actually. I mean, we were, there was a lot going on in the in the market. So this was around um, 2007, 2008. So we were sort of just running into the, the banking crisis and Lehman's collapse. Um, in legal services, there was a lot of deregulation going on and uh, the world looked pretty competitive and and it looked like an environment where we needed to evolve to to, to survive and that's that sounds a bit dramatic but it's probably with hindsight true and um, we'll certainly survive so that it would survive with the degree of ambition that we've got and we we took a decision which was um it was all part of a competitive process so law firms like many partnerships the, the leadership team is an elected position rather than a, a hired position so we were in a a competitive process and um, to be the management team and uh, to cut a long story short there were Ed and I realized reasonably early in that competitive process that we shared some very similar views on the way we thought the world was going and what we think we needed the business to do and we came from completely different backgrounds um, so Ed came from a, um, a litigation background I came from a corporate commercial background we worked in very different client markets and what we realized was that actually we were stronger together and yeah. we knew that the changes we needed to bring through the business were at, at a level that required us to, to really have the full backing of the partnership and doing something together brought together the biggest constituencies so that you know the biggest um, constituency that could get really behind those changes we saw as necessary um, and so um, um, then, you know, you step forward and you're suddenly you're suddenly in this leadership role together. Tell us what that was like. You know, what was your first experience of this? I guess it was a bit of a shock to the system to stop, stop somehow being a lawyer and instead be a leadership team. It was a lot of fun. I think that's uh, that's how I remember the early days. I mean, there was a sort of naivety about the possibilities and um, we were having a great time because the, the way the world was needed us to kind of move move quickly. So it was, it was a lot of fun, but but on the other hand, it was, a, as you alluded to, it was a massive adjustment. Um, you know, we were both very uh, client-focused, um, deliverable-focused lawyers, 
who are used to being um, right and spend their life trying to convince people that they're right um, and advisory by nature and mm -hmm. build, build in a sort of advisory way, uh, trained to opine on things. And, and suddenly you're in a, you know, an environment where frankly that doesn't work. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an environment where it, you know, the, 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 the game is about influence and, and recognizing the sort of shifting sands of power in the yeah. organization. You know, what we learned very quickly is we needed to operate in a, in a different way. Um, I say very quickly, I mean, I think we've probably had 18 months of uh, finding it pretty hard adjusting from command and control to influence and from deliverables to long-term programs with very few deliverables that were measurable. Yeah. Um, that was a big adjustment. And um, you know, part, part of the story of the last well, nearly 12 years is, is, the, is, is really how that how long that took but how important that transition was yeah yeah really interesting so I'm quite curious about that earlier point you made about being um i guess the expert being always right um you might say being solutions focused you know clients come to you they consult don't they and your job is to provide them with answers so it's a huge mindset shift to do that um, and this idea of empowering, it's like an easy thing to say, but very hard to really do properly. So what was your transition? How did you, how did you get, did you get there really quickly? And how did you know you're on the right path? And how did you discern that that's what you needed to do? I think that I mean, it's interesting you, you say that about having the right answers. I think that the truth of it is you have to move from trying to have the answers to trying to have the questions. And that's, yep. that's the adjustment. Um, and you know, your to some extent, your professional training does help with that. But mm -hmm. you know, to another extent, you're in a professional partnership where you know actually influence is often about having the answers, not not the questions. So, how do we do that? Well, I think we we recognise we've become a reasonably significant bottleneck in the organisation about a year and a half in. I mean, we were, mm -hmm. you know, we were typical kind of lawyers. We were throwing ourselves on top of every grenade. We came out of every meeting with the longest to-do list, and that's yeah. how we've been rewarded in the past. And, and actually, we realised that that wasn't working out both personally and I think for the for the organisation. Um, and in, to some extent, we'd the fact that there were two of us, which was which was unusual in our in our business and is still relatively unusual, certainly in a professional practice of our size, meant that we were taking a lot of things away which in some ways was disempowering the broader organisation in partnership. So we, we felt that, you know, we felt that change. And the, the fundamental thing that we did that, that changed that, and this was not, not our own good insight, this was on recommendation, was to actually take a coaching approach to how we led rather than a command and control approach. And both yeah. of us over a period of about 18 months went through um, professional training as coaches and then tried to introduce that coach, coaching culture into our own leadership approach, but also more broadly within the organization. And as I'm sure many of you know, the, the heart of coaching is about asking the right questions, not, not always having the right answers. So that really helped. That was the turning point. Um, so interesting. And just um, um, while we're on this topic, I'm curious as to, so I think it's a really good idea to have the two roles. Um, and just kind of just tuning into this with one of our current clients, we've um, just, you know, working with a, um, a big family business. And, um, you know, the question question put to the next generation a couple of years back 
Uh, it's not quite the same in professional practice, but it is intergenerational in a way, isn't it? Even though you're not family, you know, they, firms. I don't know when Taylor Vinters originally started. I guess it was a long time back, right? Um, maybe, maybe uh, you know the date. So it was a merger of two firms in 1989, was, uh, which is pretty, which is pretty in our space is is a reasonably long history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember actually for a law firm once that had been around for 240 years, and I think in that, that and this will make you laugh. In that entire time, they'd never had a balance sheet. Um, and uh, yeah, they go. And one of the one of the one of the things that just absolutely just I thought was fantastic was uh, I said, well, how how do you work out what to pay people when they leave? And, um, and he said, well, we don't know. <laughs> so we don't know what their partnership capital account is. We don't know what their income has been. Well, that, that makes no sense. And you've got away with that for 250 years. But the um the, so these things are sort of intergenerational, even though uh, they're not necessarily family businesses. Um, but um, so there is a similarity there. But they, the question my client was asked is uh, which one of you is going to be chief executive? You know, and that's put the cat amongst the pigeons because they all want to be chief executive. Um, and um, it's you know it's very difficult. So um, I know you guys resolved that question by election because you've got a you've got a community you can go to and you can kind of seek that mandate. So that's quite powerful and it works really well, I think. Um, but, um, you know, we've taken them uh, to them this idea of partnership because actually when you're leading a really big business, it's incredible. Um, it's, it's an onerous um, responsibility. It can be great fun, but it's an onerous responsibility. So actually leading in partnership like you and Ed do, I think is a really good model and it's very, very interesting. I'm just curious as to how you split the role. You know, what what is his role? What is your role? And how do you, how do you balance that and manage it and what do you do together you know as opposed to doing a part just tell us a bit about that i think that's the starting point is that you know what what you call yourselves is irrelevant I, you know that you know those those titles are for stakeholder groups whether they're internal or external so i think that's the that's the starting point but what i you know for fundamentally with why ed and i work well together this, this does come to your question but why ed and i work well together is because we have different and complementary skills and a reasonably good sense of awareness and a very strong personal relationship which we we didn't have before we worked together but we developed which allows us to be very fluid about that so mm. you know, there's an element of what are you good at there's an element of what's your role um there's an element of how much capacity you've got and there's an element of who is it that you're needing to work with because naturally you have different relationships with different people so that's kind of the context of it but to your to your question when we started um the essential difference was that i was more outward focused clients yeah. and commercial strategy partnerships international and ed was more inward focused um around you know finance and and um, hr and managing the partners and um, operations and also um the kind of operational implementation of our strategy and then yeah. in the middle of those two things was a, was a really strong overlap around um, around strategy and and, and you know, how we articulate strategy. So that's where we started. I think as things have evolved and developed, um, it's become a bit more fluid. And you know we're both um, we're both capable of doing bits of each other's original original roles. And we you know we we basically do what works, underpinned yeah. by a really strong um, personal relationship. But we do have different skills. Um, I mean, Ed often says that um, I sketch and he colours in, which is one way of looking at it. Um, and um, that's 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 an interesting approach that's worked so far. Um, perhaps in more traditional language, Ed's the finisher, completer, and very organised, and I'm not. 
So um, that's, that's <laughs> so in, in, and you know, the, the ability to, to be comfortable with those strengths and weaknesses, um, I think is uh, is a really important part of making it work at a practical level. It's a really nice self-effacing way of putting it, but I mean, also I feel like that's alluding to um, maybe you know you've got that um, that uh, slightly more big picture thinking to start with, um, and um, and there is a need I think when you're thinking strategically and thinking about options to uh, to to do that, and then also to fill in the fill in all of the steps and make that connection back. I think a really good way of working in a team at this level in the organisation is to translate strategic thinking into tactical tactical actions. And so that if the two of you can do that really well together, um, I guess you learn from each other. And I hear also there's like a, it's now these days more about the dynamic of the relationship, knowing each other really well. And like you're both permanent understudies. So if one of you is not up, the other one can be up, which gives you a lot of resilience, actually, in your leadership, I would say. Well, I think it's, a, it's about the personal relationship between us, but it's also about the personal relationships we hold in the business. Yeah. And I think there are. Uh, it, it, essentially, there are large parts. There's, there's a much greater degree of overlap in what we do now than there was. Um, yeah. You know, we've learned from each other. I think that's probably fair to say. But also, we, you know, there are bits of our business or bits of our client base that we both feel more affinity to or excitement about. And you know, it's, it's natural to, to place your energy in those places that you're passionate about, really. Yeah, so it gives you lots of optionality. So um, when we were chatting, I noticed that you had a photo behind you, and not here because we're speaking this morning from London to Italy, right? But um, um, and this isn't your cockpit. But um, uh, tell us why you have a cockpit behind you in your office at home, and then let's get into why that's kind of relevant to leadership. That's that cockpit's even older than the firm that you were referring to earlier. So um, why do I have a cockpit? So so you know, I think I think being a being a, um, an effective leader is about drawing on all of the different things that are in your life and, and you know, being a lawyer and being a partner in a law firm is, is one aspect of it. But I've also, my passion all of my life has been flying. Um, and uh, I, you know, I think there's, there are significant lessons that you can pull from other aspects of your life and bring them into how you, how you operate as a leader. Um, in my case, I, I draw a lot of parallels and inspiration from the the way that flying works, how we operate in the cockpit, the, the yeah. culture, the procedures. But I think that's you know, equally relevant to, to anything else that people have got in their lives. And you know, there's a lot of talk about bringing your whole self to work. And I think that's, you know, that's not about simply being at work all the time. <laughs> I think that's, you know, some people have interpreted it that way. I think bringing your whole self to work is about bringing all the different experiences and inspirations you, you, you have in your life. And I, you know, as, a, as a general proposition, and aviation is a great, a great example of this but i think there are many others you you can you can just see issues differently when you look through them look at them through the lens of a different industry or a different um you know different different part of the world or a different culture and and as, as successful leaders we should challenge ourselves to do that it's all part of that kind of curiosity that that makes for good leadership yeah um, so um, this morning I'm interviewing um, Matt Meyer, who's chief executive at uh, Taylor Vinters, and I can see David, Wayne, uh, Ashley uh, listening in. Um, so uh, just to remind you, there's a questions area. So if you're as you're as you're listening to us to sort of discussing sort of aspects of Matt's leadership and experience in a law firm, just fire your observations and comments into the questions area, and uh, we can pick those up as we go. Um, nice to see you all online this morning and uh, welcome to the podcast. Um, in this context, we're talking a little bit about um, black box thinking. 
um, which is, uh, you know, the airline industry's approach to, um, you know, avoiding catastrophic failures. And I think it does allude to that idea of um, free-flowing information. You know, when they examined why planes crashed, quite a lot of the reason was because there was too much status in the pilot. People felt um, difficulty in speaking to them necessarily. Maybe um, there was too much um, kind of focus on belief in the pilot and not reading the dashboard right and someone else saying it's not right, it's not right, and they're saying no, it's right, it's correct. So breaking into that kind of belief mindset um, require you know requires a different sort of leadership culture. But I guess here and kind of alluding to how people can get locked into a worldview which is wrong and unhelpful and maybe even catastrophic sometimes. Um, how that's emotional and you need to break that down and create these sort of feedback loops, you know, with the data and the relationships all part of that. Um, I'm just curious on that on, on that on that point is is that if you look at a typical cockpit. Um, you've got a lot of real-time information so you're getting yes. a lot of performance information from the engines position information from the navigation systems um you know how the how the aircraft is being flown from the primary flight instruments and, and that's you know it's, it's very in the moment and, it, and in some ways i think there's a parallel there with how we run lots of professional services firms you know we look we look at what we've done over the last month it's very real immediate real time the, the the trick is how do you actually analyze in the longer term what's gone before which is back to your kind of safety culture comments and 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 secondly you know what planning and forward-looking data and information do you need and yeah. the, the trick about flying is yeah, actually flying in the moment is relatively uh, particularly simple when you're an autopilot what's more difficult is planning for what's coming ahead and getting ahead of the aircraft and i think yeah. that you know for me that's the interesting thing that we can we can bring into to professional services. Really important. And how do you handle um, the defensiveness point? And I know that I know that in you know in 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 the professional services space there are real pressures, and there are also problems. There's always problems organisationally around status. Um, there's uh, there's two ways of thinking about organisation. One one is about um, being well you know well able to articulate sort of control, and the other is I'm more important than you. Um, and you always come with both those two lenses into a, into a structure and hierarchy just kind of offers the opportunity for status and empire building. But then also when things go wrong, can, people can be very defensive about their space or about what happened and just it can be difficult to get to the truth and uh, reopen the communication. How do you guys, how do you and Ed tackle that in, in you know, a very busy, very pressured environment? Well, I think... I think the, the the key thing is, and again, this is a good lesson for aviation, but the key thing is that you need to make a decision. Okay, yeah. so how you make the decision is the, is where the magic is. But I think, you know, the thing I've lost, I've learned from, from aviation is that you've, there are points where you have to make a decision. And um, procrastination and being paralyzed just doesn't doesn't work. So the way we approach it is is is, is basically, you know, we have, we have a view, we have an opinion that's our own, but we, you know, we then socialize those opinions we get we get the group input to that recognizing that we ultimately are responsible for taking the decision um and you know that again that's not dissimilar to a cockpit environment it's it's yeah. it's about gathering as much information as you can in the time you've got available but not being paralyzed by that you, you you've just got to get on and uh, and take a decision the defensiveness piece is interesting i mean the whole aviation world is, is built around this idea that um everyone wants to put positive feedback into 
um, yeah. the system so that they can learn from the from the mistakes that they've had. And I think that's yeah. um yeah, that is something that we do quite badly in, in professional services organizations generally. I think that kind of briefing before things happen, debriefing after they've happened, that culture of kind of self-reporting of issues. You know, if I had a if, if I had an area I'd love to work on, it's just building much more of that kind of feedback loop so that we can learn yeah. from those experiences. But yeah, defensiveness is um I, I can only speak to the environments I've worked in, but I think I think law firms definitely uh, have a have an environment where um if there's ever a risk of a, a sort of negligence claim or a problem, they've always encouraged as much openness as possible about that. It's a non-judgmental um, approach to it. Because you know, fundamentally, from a risk management point of view, you need to get as much information out as possible. And you know, there, but for the grace of God, I mean, everyone everyone has their moments, and you know, yeah. it's a natural part of, of running any kind of business. And in, in the advisory world, is no different. Yeah, so actually sort of being uh, open to that being, uh, that could easily be me, so, so that you're starting from an empathic response and uh, just going to sort of the risk for everybody for these things. Um, amazing. So um, just um, this slide, I kind of love what you had on your website. Um, and uh, so I want to just get into the meat of this debate about, you know, your point to me, which really struck a chord about strategy being maybe a straitjacket. I uh, kind of captured this. I felt I felt it was like maybe an identity kind of statement um, on your website. So, um, you know, why why do you think strategy can be a straitjacket, and what is it that you're seeking to solve that you know the sort of tra you know a typical strategy process doesn't doesn't help with? Well, I think the the straitjacket comment really goes to uh, how people think about strategy and implement it. So, you know, have Having a strategy is not, you know, straight duck, it implies a, a negativity. I mean, having a strategy is is clearly critical. I mean, it's probably been the one of the key differentiators for us as a as a law firm over the years, certainly in um the, the client arena and increasingly in the in the talent acquisition and retention arena. So I think yeah. strategy is positive, it's what you do with it. And you know, there's the, the sense there is a there is a sense that if you if you if you structurally think about strategies and you have a you have a written down strategy, you cascade it through an organisation through individual objectives um, and, and detailed team plans. It's good at one level, but at a, but it's not the whole story because at another level, people perform to the to the extent of their objective. And actually, mm -hmm. what, what I'm saying is, if if what you do is align people around a common sense of um, identity and direction and you know, much overused word for purpose you you open up the the opportunity for them to define their own potential and realize their own potential and and, and do that also at an organizational level so that you know the, the the general the general sentiment is make sure there's enough space for creativity and and fluidity in your organization um, yeah. but that's not so don't have a strategy yeah, no, I think that's really powerful. Um, so, so if I just tune back into that, do you think that the word purpose then, you know, with all of that meaning, like I have a purpose, this firm has a purpose, I'm sharing the purpose. So that for me, that's like the intersection of it all. So I express my identity through my activity, through my purpose with this type of client, with this type of work, in this type of environment, with these people. So it feels like purpose is the intersectionality of it all. Is that right? Do you think that's right? Yeah, I think it is, but I, but I probably where I would be cautious, and I don't think you're saying this, but I'd be cautious, is 
is that the purpose isn't something that the organization as a in a governance sense should define and then yeah. we should follow um, yeah. you know we we talk about being an identity-led business and i think you know you know in our context that means you know recognizing that you're you're the sum of the the, the, the purpose is the sum of everybody's passion so yeah. you know what what are you the general principle is you know what are you what are you passionate about if you focus on what you're passionate about passionate about you'll do really well if you do really well you'll be more valuable in the market if you're more valuable in the market you'll be more successful uh, yeah. as an organization so it's that kind of flywheel um, approach and then um, um ed's a big fan of flywheels and spent a lot of time convincing me that flywheel is the right the right way to describe it and I, i'm convinced now but it's um <laughs> it's that it's that essence and uh, of focusing on what you're passionate about and you it, that's very easy for someone you know on a podcast to, to sit and say but mm-hmm. but actually it's about talking to people and really understanding that and we, we've done that we've done that top to bottom in the organization regularly mm-hmm. And we've mm-hmm. done it regularly because you also need to recognize that if you're identity led and you're the sum of the parts, then you, that's, that's in essence going to be a dynamic thing because the, mm-hmm. the organization is changing all the time. So, you know, where, I think where we've landed is that we've, um, you, you kind of have this, this relationship. So you, you, you find out what you're passionate about and I'll come back to what we're passionate about, but if we find out what you're passionate about, that, that naturally attracts people who are also passionate about that. But you've, yeah. got, you've got to balance it with the desire to be kind of diverse and inclusive in the broadest sense, because yeah. what you don't want to become is a one-track identity that never evolves. In, in, yeah, in, like a monoculture. You don't want to become a monoculture. Exactly, and I think that's really so. So it's a it's a really positive area to think about because it's it's something that is dynamic. You yeah. need to sort of intelligently challenge yourself around it all the time. And yeah. you need to keep listening to the organization to know how that's changing and evolving. But essentially, in our organization, what we found was, and I'm going back about six or seven years now, but the, the phrase that came out was that we're we're passionate about making great things happen. Yeah. And, and we ran with that for a while. And it sounds like marketing sort of phrase, but it wasn't. It actually came out, a number of people said it in a number of one-to-one interviews. But the, but, it, but really what that's about is we're, we're, we're more passionate about what our clients are achieving, particularly in the innovation space and how they're you know, tackling some of the world's toughest challenges through innovation we're more excited about that than we are about being a law firm and yeah. I, you know again it sounds a bit glib but but it does define who you are and i, and I think that's you know we we're, we're passionate about being in the innovation ecosystem that's our kind of purpose being a catalyst helping people innovate helping tackle some of the world's toughest challenges that's what gets people out of bed in the morning and that's what attracts people to our organization that is enshrined in our strategy but yeah actually what that means at a delivery level is much more fluid and and the, the, the more diverse the organization is the the more kind of strands of curiosity there are there are amongst the the workforce and the staff and the stakeholders and and, and actually that that's a really positive thing from a market perspective it, it opens up so many more opportunities yeah yeah, no, I think it's really powerful. Um, it reminds me of a Harvard Business Review article that talked about, I think they were doing surveys on happiness, whether happiness orientated businesses had that had that edge in terms of, you know, impact, productivity, value add, whatever it might be. Um, and uh, they did a massive survey on happiness. And the conclusion was that um, happiness businesses are happier. 
um, but they're not necessarily more productive. The ones that were more productive were were combining uh, um, a, an orientation around happiness and also really powerful purpose. And it was the combination of those two things, feeling really purposeful and feeling really happy in your role, uh, were were clear factors in in improving value add. Um, so what you're saying really reminds me of that. It really resonates. I um, so I think I think I think I understand that you know you, you what you're saying is you need that strategy. You need the I guess you need like going back to the cockpit. You need the clear parameters. You need all the fuel in the engine. You need to know where you're going. All that kind of good stuff. You need the controls to all work. But then there's a another part of it, isn't it? Which is why are we going here? And that's more the human side of it. And uh, what's this journey going to be like for us? What are we going to do when we get there? You know. And I do think that um, a lot of professionals, you know, they they're very motivated around their their tools. You know, the expertise within their particular niche of the law. You know, to to a certain point, that is always going to be motivating. But it's what do you do with those tools, right? And uh, I think also there's a really big thing in um, professionals around helping people. And so for me, your point about um, achieving amazing things, I don't think that's the right phrase, but something along those lines, achieving great things, seeing clients with like vicarious sense of success, I think that's very motivational for a lot of professionals. And that's why you're there, isn't it, to help people in the end? Yeah, I, so, so, it's, so it's interesting, a couple of thoughts you were saying that. I mean, identity is, you know, when I talk about identity, I don't just mean the identity of the, you know, the people that work in, in Taylor Vinters, I think it's the identity of the clients, it's the identity of the stakeholders and broader partners that we work with that, that defines that identity. Um, and you're you're right. I mean, we do, you know, in professional services, we do often focus on our service lines and our products. And from a strategy point of view, you can you can make anything look good on paper from a service line and product point of view. You can be yeah, particularly if in particularly if you're in the world of being adversarial, you can yeah others around you that that's the right way to go but essentially that's about what you're selling it's, yeah. it's not about what people are buying and I, and I think yeah. you know the other part of the journey over the last x number of years has been recognizing that actually focusing more on how people buy things rather than how successful organizations sell things is really really insightful and it's much more human-centered and it leads you to a um an ex to, to your point to an experienced based strategy so you know, when I think about how I want it to be, to, to be inside our firm, but also to work with our firm as a, as a customer, I'm more interested in the experience than I am in the product line, because you know, frankly, everyone needs something different. I mean, we've got some pegs to hang what we do on, but, but every, you know, increasingly everything is different. So the experience yeah. is, is, is much more um, important. And the, the crossover is, and you know, this, again, this is another one of the kind of observations. I'm, I say it a lot. I don't, I would be interested to be challenged around it, but I think I believe it, which is that if you get the employee experience right, you you get the customer experience right. And I think you know there are a lot of a lot of industries where I'm seeing that HR and business development function get closer and closer. I, and I, you know, I, I, or put another way, I don't I don't think you can guarantee a successful customer experience if you're having a terrible employee experience. So you have to you have to work on both sides of that equation. I that, I think that's completely correct, uh, Matt. I'm not going to challenge you on that at all. One of our one of our um, one of our um, approaches is to to ask if you can track the smile uh, all the way through the organisation to the point of contact with the customer. And um, so whoever that might be. So in a restaurant, it might be the cleaner, which is an old economics kind of adage about the, you know, um, 
clean restaurant, horrible meal, great meal, dirty restaurant, you know, which one's most important. But, you know, we have a lot of clients who are doing deliveries and, you know, and if the delivery driver turns up really fed up because they haven't had the tools, they've been delayed, there's been problems at work, you know, they show up grouchy and uh, that affects them and they're careless or they have that mood and that's the customer's experience, right? So um, can you trace the smile through the organization? It's a really lovely way of saying, okay, you know, how are we passing things through the process seamlessly to create that sense of positivity? I think it's a really powerful powerful idea um i've got I think, some sorry, I, think, I think the crux the crux of, of what we've been talking about is really is the idea that it's not it's it is strategy but it's 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 more that don't let structure become a distraction you yeah. know the, the real magic in organizations and i see this in you know, we're blessed to work with these really creative innovative organizations that the most important things that seem to happen are the things that happen around the edges of the strategy in spite yeah. of the strategy being human yeah. being solving yeah. things whenever in their objectives and it, i think what i'm what i'm suggesting is that we just need to be really conscious to allow that fluidity that curiosity and those things to happen and not um you know simply measure people's contribution by reference to the, the structural implementation of a strategy yeah so i'm gonna just pause there for a second and um say hi also to mark turner I've um, got some questions coming into the um, the questions box, which we just share in a second. Uh, thank you, Matt, for your question. Um, really happy to take questions for a few minutes. Um, uh, so just kind of just sum up, I think, what we got to with that, which I think what you're saying is the strategy is essential and it's setting context, it's setting parameters, uh, it's kind of organizing resources. But rather than a straitjacket, you want that, once you set the parameters, you want it also to be open to the human experience. Um, and so therefore to come alive in a way. So it's how do you take it off the paper and make it come alive and be a, I guess, a, a journey to the journey to the beach for a picnic is a, maybe a good way of putting it, rather than a strategy for a picnic, you know, which sounds really dull. <laughs> uh, so it's just, I think that's what you're saying. And I, that really resonates with me. I think it's fabulous. So just a couple of quick slides and then we'll get on to um, just answering some of these questions. So um, we are just kind of tuning in for our dates over the summer, just thinking about exactly when we're going to do this. Um, but I'm delighted to have um, Dr. Kirsten Dunlop uh, on Strategy Cafe coming up in the next month or so. Um, she is head of Climate KIC. She's really incredible uh, leader. Um, and her and her team's job is to make change at um, institutional and citywide levels to adapt rapidly to climate change. So it's some really, really deep systemic partnerships for change. So fascinating, um, very, very big level strategy stuff and a really amazing lady to listen to. Um, and then also we're gonna do another session uh, from the team. I think everyone's really enjoyed um, our team strategy cafes um, and uh, very open to ideas from you listening today about what you'd like us to cover. Um, we've covered a load of topics about coming out of lockdown, how to manage hybrid, all that kind of stuff. And you can see all of those on our, on our website. Um, if you want to go back and review all those things, but any ideas you've got for us to tackle and talk about and give you tips on and engage in conversation around, we'd be really delighted to do that. So um, um, we'll come back to you all with dates for the next session and content for the next session and just feedback any ideas that you've got uh, for us. So I've got a couple of quite great questions here. So first of all, Alice is talking about um, the Mark Gallagher presentation about um, Formula One. Um, you know, in the cockpit talking, the black box thinking, which is Matt Syed, I think. Uh, I'll just give him a proper reference. Um, it's a great book. Um, um, you know, drawing the similarities. And then um, 
Um, Matt's question to Matt, how can you find out about what the purpose and identity, identity of stakeholders is? Yeah, great question. And probably, probably the lawyer's answer is we've got to work out who the stakeholders are and the might, the might will be different. But I, you know, fundament, fundament, fundamentally, it's about conversation, isn't it? I mean, I think the more, the longer I get in the tooth, you know, any any group that I work with, clients, staff, partners, other stakeholders, it's it's actually having authentic kind of deep conversations with with people and really getting a sense of what their what their value system is. Um, I think you can you know, there is you can do that formally. I you know you I I found people really receptive to having that conversation. And once you, know, once you can get beyond the business development expression of that purpose yeah. or um, you know, values-based kind of documents and things like that, and actually have a conversation about who the, who the who the stakeholders are, who the leaders are, and what what makes them. People are pretty receptive to that. So, and no clever answer. I think it's just just making the time to have conversations with people. And that's that's always been good business in my in my experience. I would also just um, maybe observe and just interested in your thoughts on this. I think I think you can you can tell. Um, uh, so if we're talking about relationships, and you had a really fabulous conversation earlier on about you know you and you and Ed, and that's you know starting you know starting uh, with not knowing each other so well, not knowing exactly how it was going to work, and then in the end becoming a really organic, deep relationship where you just know each other really well, and uh, you know quite quite fluid in how you manage things. But that that human aspect of relationships, like the relational side of things, is energetic. And we can sense that, right? And um, so if a stakeholder is buying in to the identity of the organization, you know, that is a direct analog for buying shares. And if they're not, you know, that's in a way a direct analog for wanting to sell shares. Uh, so, you know, if we're talking about valuation of a business, that's driven by demand. Um, and you can tell people want to buy the shares, they don't want to buy the shares. So, um, that, you know, that's fundamental to what you know to to what's driving the value. It's the emotion rather than just the fundamentals. So, to our whole conversation about strategy versus you know the um, the power and uh, feeling of the people, it's actually the power and the feeling of the people, which you can't really kind of put your fingers on. As much as the strategy sets the context, it's putting the energy in the pack. I think that drives all of that. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, at the end of the day, everything gets done around a human connection. Um, yeah, you know, everything, the success or failure of most projects rests on the strength of human relationships, I find. So, um, you know, the nearer you can, you know, the things you can do to, to, to get closer to that, the better. And and the, the nice thing is that you're you're often surprised and normally positively surprised, has been my experience. You just let your guard down and talk to people and uh, and be receptive. And that's, you know, it's interesting. We started with a bit of um, bit of breathing. I mean, I, I think, you know, you, you, you have to be in the right, state of mind yeah to do these things well so to be really open and receptive and yeah and and people yeah there's a, I'm, I'm no psychologist or scientist but there's a, you know, there's a whole world of research out there isn't there on, on yeah the, the, the sort of um cues that you give people and the way that they respond to them um, right. either consciously or unconsciously and i you know i think that that actually if if you see your role as being about forming those human connections rather than trying to sell x y and z or achieve abc kpi um my experience has been that you know that's that's the best place to start and everything else follows from it it rarely goes the other way yeah i've got this weird idea um i think it's probably correct but i've got this weird idea from the neuroscience that i know uh, um that uh, our neural pathways are represented in relationships 
So when, you know, like you and Ed, for example, I would say there's probably a really strong neurology of your relationship, which is a bit of a weird comment. So forgive me if it makes you feel slightly creepy, but um, like in your head, there's a sense of the shape of that relationship because it's in fluid memory. So it's um, um, it's um, it's muscle memory, if you like, is another way of describing it, which means it's, you know, it's body neurological. Uh, and, and it's deeply habitual after a while and, and it just flows. So I really feel that that's true. And I think so one of the ways we sort of work to improve leadership teams is to sometimes you perceive the, the relationship between people is a really small thread. Uh, so you could see that as a really limited set of good neural connections. Um, and the habit, of the pathway of that relationship is poor because the communication is difficult, negative, etc. And so one way to deal with that is to is to change the way that they are in relationship with each other and increase the number increase the number of connections and then gradually you get a powerful new channel there which becomes a new a new way of being with each other. And you have to sort of do the do the practice and the experience. I think to your point you need to be open to that and really open to to, to the practice of it. The practice of creating relationships. Um, I, think, I think in the context of, of a two person leadership team and um, well, even a broader, you know, a broader board and, and, and wider leadership team. But you know, fundamentally, I think I think Ed and I would say that a core part of our role is making sure that each other is as effective as they can be. You know, we sort of got each other's backs. Um, yeah. That you know that comes from a, a trust and respect and and to your point, experience, learnt experience of what works and what doesn't work. But that you know, that has to be the starting point. And I guess the the particular challenge you find um, in many professional advisory practices and I'm sure everywhere else is is the sort of the, the assumption that actually to get on you need to be competitive I you don't <laughs> to get on you need to support other people um, yeah. and yeah I don't want to drift into too many cliches but I, but I do think you know, actually empowering other people getting great people around you supporting them is definitely the way to succeed personally and, and organizationally yeah, that's a really powerful point. Thank you very much. I'm just going to say hi to Kim, who joined late on, and wonder whether you have a question um, to to Matt while we have him here. We're running up against the time now, and I'm going to wrap up in a second, but I think I've got one more question. Uh, okay, this one's a question to me. Um, so um, um, what is the most significant thing that I bring from my life experience outside of the work context, which helps me? Gosh, interesting question. Um, um, I'd say probably trying to tune into what Matt was saying earlier on. Um, I think Matt said right at the top of the session, which is probably where this has come from, that about the whole person, um, bringing the whole of you to work, which doesn't mean work all the time, but in some ways does, because maybe you just, you know, open to the whole of your life experience. Um, so that's one thing I would respond by, but I think that I bring in everything from every corner and nook and cranny of life if it's helpful. Um, and I've been lucky enough to have such a wide-ranging experience that um, all of it is useful at some point. Um, so I definitely have a kind of a, you know, what have I got in the toolkit that could be helpful here? Um, and then before we start this morning, we were talking a little bit about um, about uh, experiences, Matt and I, and um, I can't remember why it came up, but I happened to talk about my mum dying and my experience of the shock and the grief of that. And not wanting to go there too much, but I think my reflective learning on that was I don't know, and it really shifted me very strongly from certainties to uncertainties. But in a good way, I think it helped me stay much more open when I see a situation. I think I learned that I knew I could cope with things that I were tough, so that gave me a sense of confidence and resilience. 
but it, I also knew that I didn't know how it was going to be and I just needed to wait and see. So I think uh, being open to the information that's coming in and waiting and seeing has been a really profound thing for me, which uh, unfortunately comes through things happening. <laughs> so being older, I suppose. Um, let's just see if there's any more questions. That's it. So um, thank you very much, Matt. I've loved talking to you this morning. It's been fabulous. I could take 35 or so clips out of that and just come back and listen to them again and again. Thank you so much for sharing the richness of your leadership experience with everyone this morning. It's been been really super. Well, thanks, thanks for the opportunity to reflect. I think yeah, it's, it's great to have these opportunities just to sit back and have a think about what's going on and try and articulate it out loud. Well, you articulated it really well. So thank you very much. I hope you have a fabulous time in Italy. Uh, I know you're working, so um, but uh, but thank you for tuning in. And um, it's the modern world. It's very nice. Works really well. So um, I hope you have a great day, and I look forward to catching up again soon. Thank you everyone for tuning in this morning. Uh, we're going to wrap up there. The video will be recorded, and it will be up on our podcast, and it will be on our YouTube channel. So those of you who tuned in a little bit late and want to hear the earlier part, you'll be able to access that a little bit later on today. And we'll see you next time on Strategy Cafe. Bye, everyone.